here uh, this morning, I've got uh, a message that I'm going to share with you, and it, the title is called Good Father. And if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12. Luke chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and open up to, um, the, use the Bible there in front of you and uh, open up to those places. We're going to talk about some things that the, the Lord has laid on my heart um, on this Father's Day. And so, uh, you know, over the last four weeks, it's been interesting. I, I did listen to all the messages that were shared uh, in my absence, and uh, it, it seems like the Holy Spirit spoke the same thing every week. Uh, the challenge to us to be sharing our faith. As we were challenged by um, our, our missionary friend uh, on May the 22nd, uh, the live dead ministry. You know, live dead is a new arm of the assemblies of God that uh, young people are starting to go into closed countries where they literally may not come back. Uh, it was not too long ago that missionaries in the assemblies of God, when they went overseas, packed their belongings in a coffin and had them shipped overseas in a coffin knowing that for most of them they may give their lives on that field and need to either have their bodies buried in that place or have their bodies shipped home and we've kind of gotten comfortable in our day and age today and we we look for ministries that you know won't cause us too much pain or cause us too much harm in fact even in the assemblies of God we we weigh the risks before sending missionaries into these countries and yet there's nothing in scripture that says hey weigh the risks before you go it says lay be willing to lay your life down and I love this new movement challenging us to live dead and serve God in some dangerous places knowing that ultimately our lives are in his hands now, Jesus taught us that we don't need to, to take unnecessary risks and throw ourselves off the temple, but if God calls you to a closed country and everyone around you says, that's too dangerous, be assured that if God calls you, you're just fine. And even if you die with him, you will live with him. And if you suffer, you will reign with him. That's what we just read. And that was the challenge that we had. And in the two sermons that Pastor John shared with you uh, in May and then in June again just last week, the challenge again to be, to be the encounter that other people need, to be sharing our faith and to be releasing the kingdom of God to others on a regular basis. That's who we are and who we've been called to be. And then in between those, Steve Pulis was here with you and he shared from Convoy of Hope. And again, not just telling you what Convoy of Hope is doing and how it's making a difference in the lives of people by giving out food and by ministering to their needs, but he challenged us to open our eyes and to pay attention and to have compassion on the people around us and start beginning to serve them and minister to them in different ways. And so every single week in my absence, we were challenged. We, even though I wasn't physically with you, I was here in spirit, and at least I heard uh, through CD uh, all of the messages that were shared. And we were challenged with this idea of ministering the kingdom to other people. This morning, as I share these thoughts with you about our Father, these two passages of Scripture are interesting passages because both of them in the New Testament deal with uh, God is our Father. Jesus in Luke chapter 11, and that should say, if you're taking notes and you want to write that down, that should say chapter 1, or chapter 11, verse 1 through 13. Um, I've been annoyed at myself all week long because I, I, I sent and ordered this screen. We have a, a system that makes these for us, and I put a 3 instead of a 13. Okay, so there, the cat's out of the bag. Mistakes have been made, and, uh, but we'll be okay. I could go up there and put a Sharpie and just put a, a 13, but uh, it's not. It's 1 through 13 on both of those. But these two passages of Scripture talk about our good father. And that's how he's referred to in these. And he's compared with earthly fathers in both of these passages of Scriptures. Now, over the course of, of time as believers, as Christians, as churches, what happens is we, we start serving God or we start hearing truths and we begin through apathy through pressures through just the daily grind through just the fact that you know we served God a long time truths that we one time got excited about or one time uh, really put into practice in our lives we have a tendency to get lazy and forget about them or they they cause us not to be excited anymore I mean we have heard about the resurrection of Jesus Christ so much that we can talk about it today and not get excited we ought to get excited every time we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it is what causes us to pass from death to life. 
I mean, it is the, it, the hallmark of our faith, as I read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 2. But in those processes, God stays faithful to us, even though we are unfaithful to him because we're neglecting truths that he's shared with us, told us to put into practice. We become unfaithful, but he stays faithful to us. And so the Holy Spirit will come and begin to emphasize these truths again so that we remember them and put them into practice in our lives again. And these neglected truths that he emphasizes for a season to kind of reestablish them in our, our hearts are not more important than other truths. It's just they've been lost. And so in order to get them found again, it's like he shines a light on them and he emphasizes them for a season. Now, sometimes when he does that, we as human beings mistakenly take that truth and we exalt it to a place that it shouldn't be. Meaning we, we take a, a biblical truth that's been neglected and now being the Holy Spirit just kind of hammering on it and just reminding us and shining a light on it and we exalt it to a place it shouldn't be exalted. It's, it's on equal plane with all the other truths but he's only emphasizing it to restore it to our lives not to make it the thing. Does that make sense? And sometimes in the world or in the church world um, when we do that other people will condemn us or criticize us because we're emphasizing one truth above other truths or we're making it in their eyes too important. And sometimes they accuse us of that when that's not what we're doing. <clears throat> and so let me give you an example. The easiest example is where we were birthed from. In the 1900s, no church was really talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. No church was talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, there may have been uh, believers in pockets, because here's the thing that, that we know. Even though the church world isn't publicly talking about stuff, doesn't mean that there's no believers talking about it. So in the early 1900s, when by and large the church as a whole was not talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that does not mean that nowhere on the planet was anyone experiencing that. If you remember the story of Elijah, when Elijah says to God, I'm the last person, I'm the only faithful person in all of Israel. <clears throat> and what did God say to him? No, there's thousands who have not bowed their knee to me. You're crazy, okay? But they were hiding or they weren't public. Or if you looked at the country, overall, the nation of Israel had turned their back on God. But yet there were thousands that did not, okay? But the majority of the church was not talking about it, not preaching on it, but a small group of believers in Topeka, Kansas began to really hone themselves and pray and fast and seek the Lord and study the scripture for what God said. And they had an experience known as the baptism in the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit filled them. They spoke in other tongues and then they began to be empowered to be a witness for him. And this thing spread. It didn't stay in Topeka, Kansas. It began to spread out all over the country and it moved over to Azusa Street in Los Angeles and a big a revival began there and it began to spread out to the point where the assemblies of God was birthed out of that moment and now the assemblies of God in just 102 years has spread out to almost every country of the world numbering thousands upon thousands of believers because of the re-emphasis of this now some believers take the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they emphasize it to a plane that it should not be emphasized in because the Holy Spirit, in order to reestablish it in our lives, shined a light on it. The, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not more important than the cross and the resurrection. In fact, without the cross and the resurrection, there is no baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we, re we emphasize those things too much. Other people, because we talk about it at all, will accuse us of overemphasizing it when we're not. When all we are is shining a light on it enough to get it reestablished in our lives. And this happens all the time. Over the last 10 to 15 years, the Holy Spirit has been shining a light on this idea that we have been called as individuals and as a church to be a house of prayer. Prayer in most churches has been, in most believers' lives, has been neglected. It's been neglected. It's something we relegate to doing only when really necessary or just for a few moments every single day. We do not understand the necessity of prayer and being a house of prayer. But if you study it, if you look back over the last 10 to 15 years in church history, and you, you'll begin to see how this thing has just kind of swelled. And now all over the place, people are talking about it. When 20 years ago, maybe one or two pastors were preaching on it. Jim Cimbala was one of the first. He's got a sermon that he preached almost 15 to 20 years ago called House of Prayer. 
And in that challenging sermon, he talks about how God called him to lead his church to pray. And he said to him, Jim, if you lead them to pray, you will never lack for anything. And in that sermon, he reminds us that the Lord did never say that this is a house of worship, that this is a house of preaching, that this is a house of singing, but this should be a house of prayer. And now that's been restored, and now almost everywhere you turn, somebody's talking about it or preaching on it, or house of prayer ministries are springing up everywhere. The Holy Spirit is emphasizing it to restore it to life in the body of Christ. Another truth is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, in Mark chapter 16, in Luke chapter 24, and in Acts chapter 1, all of these places, Jesus' final words to the disciples are, as you go into the world, make disciples. Make disciples. Preach the good news. Heal the sick. Demonstrate the kingdom of God to people. That's an emphasis, and it's been de-emphasized in our lives. All of us in this room today would raise our hands and say we're all called to evangelize the lost. We're all called to reach our community for the Lord. We would agree with that statement, but if we look at our lives this past week, how much practically did we do to do that? I would say we probably didn't do as much as we should. Some of us might not have done anything, but yet all of us would agree that that's our job. It's become neglected. And that's why the Holy Spirit, as you be, as you, you, we're starting to hear it everywhere. We're starting to hear this idea. And it's been talked about for years, and it's been building and crescendoing. And now it's like, boom, we need to be doing this. And it's the Holy Spirit emphasizing it again. There's so many other truths, but these truths, the, the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the house of prayer ministry, and this idea of sharing the gospel or releasing the kingdom are three things that we're really going to emphasize as we look at these two passages of scripture today. And so if you're in Luke chapter 11, I got to find Luke chapter 11. I didn't put it in my notes. And so bear with me while I turn there. Luke chapter 11. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him, excuse me, to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up, give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, Do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read this one, and then we'll kind of wade our way through these. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. 
Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And if you had forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children, he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you're illegitimate, that you're not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. So Father, I ask as we study your word together over these next few moments, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us into all truth and that you would help us to build our lives today on a foundation of that truth. Show us the steps that we need to take to not just believe the words that we hear today in our minds, but to live them out in our daily lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So at their request, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. He's trying to uh, help them understand this idea of prayer. And so he, he gives them kind of an example of how to pray. And he prays, first off, help your name, Father, that your name would be reverenced, that it would be honored, that it would be sanctified. If you memorize the Lord's Prayer, you might say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's in essence what we're asking for, that God's name would be honored everywhere. Now, all the way back in Ezekiel chapter 36, God makes a prophecy through the prophet Ezekiel to the people of Israel. And in the middle of that prophetic message, he puts these two, these two phrases, these two sentences. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, not because you deserve it. You are unfaithful, but I am faithful. I'm bringing you back. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you, through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. So he prophesies that he's gonna do this. I am gonna make my name holy all over the world through you. So if he prophesies that he's going to do it, why on earth do we need to pray for it to happen? Why does Jesus start this prayer saying, Father, may your name be honored and reverenced and holy throughout our world? I mean, it's just gonna happen because God said it. And anything God wants to happen because he's sovereign, it just happens. No, because even here he says it's gonna happen through you. Jesus is teaching them right from the outset that just because something is decreed from the mouth of God, he works through human beings. He's calling us into partnership. Do you know why prayer matters? Because if we don't pray, God's will won't happen. What? Oh, he'll find someone to pray. The question is whether you and I will become a part of this. See, we just think God's will is going to be automatic. And the only time we pray as believers is when we're in pain. Our prayer life should not have to increase tenfold when we walk through difficulty. It should already be there. Because prayer is more than just something we do when we need something from God. We pray for his kingdom to come. We pray <coughs> for his will to be done. He's calling us into partnership. 
Why? Because there's a spiritual aspect involved in God's kingdom being released in our community. In other words, if we don't pray, God, may your kingdom come. If we just say, okay, well, you know, you be a prayer person, but I'm going to be a doing person. So I'm going to go out these doors today, and I'm going to tell every person I see about Jesus. That's great. There's a doing aspect to that, and we need to be a part of that. We need to open our mouths and share the gospel. But here's the thing. Don't be foolish enough to think that this is just a physical problem. If you open your mouth and tell people, and their hearts have not yet been prepared, they will not receive the gospel. And so prayer makes a way for us when we go out and open our mouths, the, the part, person's heart is prepared and ready to receive. God, may your name be honored in this community. Instead, we just go out and tell people, you know, you should honor God's name. No, we need to pray, God, let your name be honored among all nations so that when we go out and tell them, they're already sensing it because of the work the Holy Spirit's doing in their lives. Maybe the other reason we're praying it is so that we as believers don't carry his name with dishonor. I mean, think about all of the things we say and do in our lives that people watch. Think about all the things that we post on Facebook. Is that bringing honor to the name of the Lord or is it bringing shame to the Lord? And so we can pray all day, Father, hallowed be your name, but if our lives don't reflect the, the holiness of God, the honor of God, then it won't matter. I mean, let's close our service today. Father, hallowed be your name. And then we go to a restaurant and we criticize and badmouth our, our waiter or waitress for the... Well, his name's not being hallowed in that moment. Does it make sense? We can't just pray it and then do nothing. But we have to pray it. That's what Jesus is teaching. He says, pray for God's kingdom to come. Literally, it means to become or to happen to. Pray for God's kingdom to happen to people. We as a church should be praying regularly. God, may your kingdom happen to the people of our city. And then we should be going out of these doors and releasing the kingdom to people. Praying for it to happen and then answering that prayer with our lives. This is the twofold thing. These things have to walk hand in hand. We can't just pray. We can't just do it. We, we pray and we work. Mark Batterson, in his book, The Circle Maker, the study we did a few years ago, said we as believers need to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. Pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. And that's what Jesus is teaching us in this prayer. Then he says, pray, give us the food we need. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus does not say, when you don't have a job, pray for the food you need every day. See, once you have a job and you're bringing home a paycheck, you no longer need to say, Lord, give us food for today. No. Every day of our lives, we are to pray, God, give us what we need today so that we don't ever get to the place where we start thinking we've done this for ourselves. If you go back to the Old Testament, why did God provide them manna? That, so that you learn that you don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he warned them, Moses warned them, right on the edge of the promised land, do not go into this promised land and start farming and start getting your own crops and start thinking, you did this for yourself. It was the Lord who did this for you. You've gotta understand, even when he's not providing manna every single day, even when it looks like you're doing it in your own strength, don't ever forget, he's your provider. Jesus says, you got to understand, you ask him every single day, God, supply what I need today. Don't let me think that I'm just doing this because of who I am. You're my provision. Then he says that we should pray to for, forgive us of our sin, forgive us of the ways that we've missed the mark, and help us to forgive others. In other words, God, help us to take on your character, your nature, have you ever gone to the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me for something, and he, he said no? He said, well, come back in a week. I mean, you gotta learn your lesson, so come back in a week. No. The moment we turn to him, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So why as human beings do we hold grudges? Because we don't think, because we, one, don't pray this prayer. We don't pray daily, God, Help me to deal with the stuff that I'm holding on to because I do, I do not want to act out of character. If I'm hold, Lord, I'm holding this grudge and 
I gotta let, I gotta let this go. I mean, when's the last time you fasted and prayed because you had to let go of a grudge that you couldn't let go of? It's not important enough to us. But when we start praying this and understanding this is the character of God, this is how he's treated us. If we start understanding when Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother, I won't forgive you, we will start fasting and praying to get rid of those grudges because we'll understand the, the importance of it, the necessity of it that we actually block God being able to, to put good things in our lives because of that bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. Don't let us yield to temptation. And so he teaches them these concepts about prayer. But then he goes on and it says he teaches them more. And he says to them, suppose that you have a friend that doesn't want to be inconvenienced. Now, when we read this story, we read it in our 2016 mindset, but you've got to, understand, you've got to go back to the culture and the day in which you live. Those people may not have extra bread in their home. They baked bread daily, okay? So there may not be leftover bread in that house. So this guy saying, get up, and may require some baking in the middle of the night. And you're not going to just preheat your oven, okay? You're going to build a fire. You're going to get things warm. You're going to, there's a whole process at work here. But notice how many times in this passage Jesus said, suppose, suppose. Because what he's telling them is completely mind-boggling for them. Because this is a culture where hospitality is like the law of the land. It's so inbred in them that if you're in need, they will help you. Because they're just hospitable. Middle Eastern culture overall. Far East, Asian culture super hospitable it's just their culture even as sinful people they're just hospitable so if you would knock on a door and you were a stranger they would probably more than likely get up and help you even at their own inconvenience and Jesus takes it a step further and he says this guy's not just a stranger he's your friend and suppose that this friend came and so they're like thinking well why would I suppose that because that would never happen I mean, this is so, uh, Jesus is trying to put this crazy hyperbole in front of them. Something that would never, I mean, never even happen. And he says, even if it could happen, and that guy is not going to get up and help you and be hospitable, because if he was not hospitable, he would be shamed. People would hear about it. That guy wasn't hospitable. And there would be a shame that would come on him and his family. He would never want that. If you just persist, if you just are annoying Finally, he'll get up and help you. That's what Jesus is literally saying. Now, you've got to understand, when Jesus tells a parable, he's trying to drive home a truth. You can't take every part of that parable and find a parallel. Sometimes when you're translating into a, a new language, something that was spoken, there's not like a word-for-word -word translation. There's just a, you're, you're, you're doing the concept. In fact, if you went word for word, it wouldn't make any sense in that other language. And so it's the same thing with this parable. You can't just think, you know, okay, God's not gonna give me what I need, so if I'm just annoying, if I annoy him enough, he'll finally relent. If I just act like a bratty toddler in a toy store, God's finally gonna give me what I'm asking for. No, that is in no way, shape, or form what Jesus is teaching. But what he's trying to get them to understand is, even in this instance, if you just keep, if you just keep doing it, it's going to happen. Why is he teaching them this? Why is he saying, because he says this, and I say to you, imagine this unimaginable thing, and I say to you, here's, here's what I say. If you ask and keep on asking, if you keep making your requests known, you will come into possession of that thing that you're asking for. When you pray, you just keep asking and you will receive what you ask for. Now, this is not a blank check. Jesus is not giving you the checkbook today and saying, just write whatever you want and God's going to do it for you. But he is saying that there are times when you are going to feel like stopping. There are going to be times where you feel like I'm not going to ask anymore. And Jesus was trying to get them to understand, do not do that. You keep asking. There are things at work you don't understand, and we're going to get to the, the good part in just a second. He says, you've got to keep on asking. Prayer can never become something that we just put on a shelf and think it's not working. And that's what's happened in the American church. Through laziness, through neglect, through whatever, we've put prayer on a shelf and thought, you know, it's, it doesn't work. Jesus says, get that thing off the shelf and start asking. 
And then he says, start seeking. If you keep seeking, you will find what you're seeking for. Did you know in Scripture, God says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. The question is, what kind of value do we place on that? What kind of value do we place on finding and encountering, experiencing our God? Because if we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. And people that really go after him have a tendency to find him and experience him on a regular basis. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Literally, what Jesus is saying is what has, what has kept you out before, you're gonna enter into a new place, a new land, a new something that was closed off before, you're gonna enter into it. You wanna experience the kingdom of God? Then knock and keep on knocking. Then he gives them this truth. You have a good father. You have a good father. Jesus says, you ask and you keep on asking and you seek and you keep on seeking and you knock and you keep on knocking because you have a good father. See, today's Father's Day and all over the country today we're gonna celebrate our fathers and maybe, maybe you won't. Maybe you grew up with a father that wasn't so nice. Maybe you didn't have a father growing up and there was no father figure in your life. But here's the thing. The people that had a father, we're gonna remember our fathers and we're gonna say nice things about them and sometimes we're even gonna exaggerate. We're gonna tell things about our dad and what a great guy he is and he's, we're probably gonna say things nicer about them than they really are because that's what we do. It's Father's Day. We honor our fathers. And uh, Jesus says, take the best father in the room. Who's the best father in the room? Let's have some nominations from everybody uh, who's the best father? Well, let's just say whoever it is, we're gonna bring them up here. And they're, man, they're the best father. We're gonna tell stories about how they're the best father. And man, look at all these things they did for their kids. And they take them all these places and they buy them all these things and they work with them and they help them. And oh, great father. And you have the best father. In fact, you're not even the best father in the room. You are the best father on the planet. Best father on the planet right here. Congratulations. Now, compared to God, he's evil. That's what Jesus says. The best father on this planet who never made a mistake, never mistreated their child, never did anything wrong, which by the way, there would be none um, because we'll find out in Hebrews that we're all imperfect. That best father, Jesus calls him sinful because when you compare any earthly father to our heavenly father, that's what it looks like. He is so good. It's so far beyond our version of good that this level of good looks like evil. So I don't know what that says for the rest of us way down here. I don't know what we are compared to God, but we'll just keep being faithful. And so Jesus says, you have such a good father. And you, you sinful fathers, if your child asked you for something, would you give them something else instead? And not just something else, but something that would harm them. If they asked you for a fish, would you not, not just say, well, okay, I can't give you a fish, but I'll give you a piece of steak. No, you would give them, would you give them a snake? Something that would harm them? Why is he telling them this? If you asked for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Hey dad, for Christmas, I want uh, a fish. And you, <laughs> I'm gonna show him, I'm gonna wrap up a snake. And so when he opens it, it bites him. No, that's not a good father. We wouldn't do that. And if you would, let's have some counseling sessions. Because you've got some issues. But what Jesus is trying to say is sometimes you're going to ask and you're going to seek and you're going to knock and the Father is going to answer in some way or something's going to happen and it's going to make it look like you were asking for a fish and you got a snake. It's going to, you were asking for an egg and it's going to feel like you got a scorpion. How do I, you've got to, you've got to understand that you have a good father. You have a good father. And I know that right now, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. Jesus says, I know that right now, it looks like that you asked for this and your father gave you something that, that hurt you instead of helped you. But please remind yourself, you have a good father. And if you ask and keep on asking, he is gonna give you what you ask for. And if you seek and keep on seeking, you are gonna find what you're looking for. And if you knock and keep on knocking, he is gonna open a door and bring you into what it is you're knocking to get into. Because you have a good father. Just don't give up. Don't quit. 
Even us as sinful fathers don't give all of our children everything they ask for as soon as they ask for it. Father knows best. But we still ask and we still seek and we still knock. And Jesus at the end of this says, and will not the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I don't have time to go into great detail what that means, but I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he's going to give you a little bit of the Holy Spirit at a time. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when we come into the kingdom, when we give our lives to to Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes to live inside of us, all of him. And we yield more of our lives to the Holy Spirit and we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and we operate in the the gifts of the Spirit and there are, are levels that we grow in in our understanding, but we never get more of him. So we know that Jesus isn't talking about doling out a little bit more of the Holy Spirit. But what he is reminding us is that what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, if God didn't spare his son, how will he not also give us everything else? See, he's encouraging the Romans because they're going through difficult times. And he says, yeah, I know you're going through hard times, but God is working all things for your good. Remind yourself, if he gave you the best, why would he withhold something lesser? I mean, why would God give you the best that he has and then with something smaller and less significant, why would he say no? No, the fact that he gave you his best says he's gonna give you everything. He will not withhold any good thing from you. That's what the scripture teaches us. And what he's saying here is the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit, as a guarantee, as a reminder of his love for us. It's the best gift. Again, God's giving us everything. He's giving us his best And so when we ask and we seek and we knock and our prayer doesn't seem to get answered, in fact, it does seem to get answered. It seems like we got a a snake instead of a fish. We remind ourselves, no, I have a good father and I'm gonna keep asking and I'm gonna keep seeking and I'm gonna keep knocking because he's put his spirit in me and I will not allow what my circumstances say to me. I will not allow what my feelings say to me to change who I know he is. And he's a good father. So then we come over to Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we have this passage of scripture that's sandwiched between Hebrews 11 and the rest of Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 11, it's called the faith chapter. It recognizes all of these great men and women of faith that have lived throughout the Bible, how they they live. And then at the end of Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 15 and on, it says this, look after each other, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Remember, he's talking to believers. That none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected, but it was too late for repentance even though he begged with bitter tears. There's a warning that goes on through the rest of the chapter. How you live matters. I mean, yeah, if we are unfaithful to God, he will remain faithful to us, drawing us to repentance. But if you deny him, he will deny you. You cannot live your life to deny our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and think that on judgment day, he will accept you. By your words, you will be acquitted, or by your words, you will be condemned. So if our lifestyle doesn't reflect the character and nature of God, we're, we're going to be in trouble. And in between this, these great people of faith that we should model our lives after and these people that we're warned against don't become like one of these guys, in between that, we get what we read together from Hebrews chapter 12. And what it tells us is, it's not just about prayer. Jesus taught on prayer. Our Father wants us to pray. We have to pray. But we have to also do. We have to put into practice the things that we're praying, the things that we're asking for, the things that we're seeking, the things that we're knocking. Does that make sense? He says you've got to throw off things. You've got to throw off the things that hinder you. You've got to throw off the things that are entangling your life. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Why do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Because as these people are going through hardships, look at this again, this group of believers is facing difficulty and hardship. He alludes to it. But here's what he says to them. Look at your hardships and then look at Jesus. And your hardships really are nothing compared to what he suffered. I mean, doesn't that just bless you today? Doesn't that make you feel good now? I mean, doesn't that just, uh, no, it kind of belittles our problems, doesn't it? I mean, it's almost like if I were to stand up here today and you're, you come up to me after service and you tell me all about these problems that you're facing and, and I say, well, hold on just a second. And I call someone else over and I say, will you tell them what you just went through? And they tell you all their problems and it's a little bit worse than yours. And I say, see, now don't you feel better? Because they they're suffering far more than you. I mean, don't you feel blessed now? I actually tried that once as a pastor, young and uh, maybe a little naive, this, this person, I just thought, man, they just need to see that uh, it's possible. And so I, 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 I showed them someone else who was suffering far more than they were suffering. And I, I, I said, see, see, you can do this. And this person's so encouraging and they're, they're still trying to minister to people. You can do this. You gotta just get, and they said, well, but they have a husband and this person didn't have a husband. And I didn't have anything to say because I'm like, they just shot it down. But why do we keep our eyes on Jesus? Why do we? Because we understand that he was God's perfect son. And when he gave his life on the cross, there was a shame attached to that. Not just because he was naked, but because he died a criminal's death. He was not guilty, but in the eyes of everyone, he was guilty. Why? Because he died. So he must not have been, it must not have been true. All those things that he said. See, sometimes in our lives, when we suffer and we face hardship, You know what happens? People around us say, well, they must not be as solid of a Christian as we thought because look at the hardship they're going through. Look at the difficulties they're facing. They must not be living right. They must not be praying enough. And those are the thoughts that sometimes creep into our minds. But we keep our eyes on Jesus. We understand what he suffered and we know that God disciplines those whom he loves. Now I want to explain something real quick here. He quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, that God disciplines those he loves and he punishes. But can I tell you that never in the rest of this chapter does he use the word punish. Those are two different words in Proverbs. One's discipline, one is punishment. He never uses punishment again because there's this warped idea that God will bring things into our lives. He will bring a sickness. He will bring a hardship. He will bring suffering so that we learn lessons. Okay, that's not a good father. But here's what we know. We live in a fallen world. Our lives sometimes get consequences because of our own choices and sometimes because of the choices of others but here's what we can be assured of with our good father as he says in chapter 13 or chapter 12 verse 7 endure this hardship that you're suffering as discipline in other words remember this you have a good father and you're going through hardship right now but focus your eyes on jesus god took something so ugly so shameful so it looked like it was so final and he brought life to everyone because of it So no matter what you're suffering and what you're going through right now, don't you forget you have a good father and he is with you and he is working on your behalf and he can take the ugliest moment of your life and make it beautiful. Just trust him. Trust him. Don't start acting out of character. Don't give up. Don't quit. Trust that you have a good father. And then he ends this passage with these words. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. See, he recognizes they're they're going through some hardships. We don't know exactly what's happening in this church when he writes this letter, but we know that they're going through some difficulty. And they're getting worn out from it. I don't know if you've ever faced long-term hardship. I mean, not just a little bit here and there, but you literally, you just, you got to the point where you're just like, I, I can't, I literally can't take it anymore. Whether physically you were just drained, emotionally you were drained, spiritually you were drained. And then he says this, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. 
I don't know if you've ever been tired and had someone say, suck it up. And you're thinking, yeah, um, okay. But remember the passage we read earlier from 2 Timothy chapter 2? Through the grace God has given you. Meaning, in every weak moment of your life, there's grace. Now, this may look raw, and it may look ugly, and it may look... But you can bring strength to yourself through the grace of God. It may not happen like that. I mean, you may not be crumpled mess on the floor, you know, weak arms, feeble knees, and then just pop up and ready to go. It may take some time, but you can do it. And you've got to do it. Because so many of us lay like a crumpled mess on the floor in the midst of our hardships and just cry and pout and hope that someday God comes along and just pops us back up. But God says, you know what? I can't keep doing that for you. Just like you as a good father sometimes tell your children no to things, or you kind of let them go through a little bit of hardship. To Here's the thing. He's never going to let you go through more hardship than you can handle. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his gifts. He's given you grace. He's given you everything you can do to start bringing strength to yourself. And when you start bringing strength to yourself, then he comes along and he gives you even more grace and more strength and more help. But if he just keeps bailing us out every single time, we grow up to be spoiled brats. And then we don't release the kingdom to others. See what? So he says, strengthen your feeble arms, your weak knees, so that, you, so that the lame may not be disabled. In other words, there are people around you that are lame, and they are going to fall. They're going to be disabled. Or you can release the kingdom to them, and they're going to be healed. See, how do you and I start becoming kingdom releasers? We start bringing strength to ourselves in the Lord. We stop huddling on the floor in a a pool of messness and we start bringing strength to ourselves. And we start releasing the kingdom. Because if we're not giving out to others, we're not going to receive from the Lord. That's the scripture. And God knows that. He knows that we've got to get to that place and so he allows us to walk through these difficult moments Remember the cross. Did the father hate his son? No. Does he hate you? No. In fact, he loves you. And he's good. I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 35 before we close. Isaiah chapter 35 says, Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. God has just prophesied destruction for the nation of Israel and now he's prophesying what's coming next. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with springing crocuses. There will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There, There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands, and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where jackals once lived. And a great road will grow through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness." Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Do you notice that when Jesus came, he said that this is what he came to do? He came to open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf, and the lame will leap like a deer. This is what Jesus came to establish on the earth. Not one day in the future, but right now. And this is a prophecy of a future time when the nation of Israel will literally be like this. But it's also a spiritual prophecy. 
that when Jesus comes, he's gonna usher in a new kingdom. And you and I can be a part of that kingdom. And we can see these things begin to happen in our lives right now. If we walk on this way of holiness, if we walk in God's ways, if we keep on this path. Here's what I want us to remember. We have a good father. We have a good father. And he gave us his best. He gave us his son. And he's given us his spirit. The best that he has to offer. And some of you, just like the people we read about in the scripture right now, are facing hard times. You're facing difficult situations physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. You're going through difficulty. Here, you have a good father. And what he says to you today is ask and keep on asking. And seek and keep on seeking. And knock and keep on knocking. Start throwing off things that are hindering you. You keep asking, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking, and you're like, God, where are you? And God says, but there's a second part of that. Start stripping off things that are slowing you down. Start getting rid of the sin that so easily entangles you. This is a two-part thing. You can't just pray, you gotta do. Start strengthening yourself in the Lord. Start releasing the kingdom to others. And when you start releasing the kingdom to others, I'm gonna come and you're gonna find you, I'm gonna give you what you need as you pour out into the lives of other people. It's a two-part thing. We have a good father and he's strengthened us to do both, to pray and release his kingdom. And so Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you that you are indeed a good father. I thank you for sending us your son. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming to this earth to give your life for us, to open a way for us to come into relationship again with the Father. Thank you for sending your spirit as a guarantee inside of us. God, we have been given these great gifts and they remind us that you are good and they remind us that you're not gonna withhold any good thing from us. And so today, with the grace and the strength that you've given to us, God, we're gonna strengthen our feeble arms. We're gonna strengthen our weak knees. We're gonna start releasing the kingdom. We're no longer gonna neglect prayer. We're gonna restore asking and seeking and knocking. Holy Spirit, we thank you today for shining a light on these things, these truths that you want us to build our lives on. Now give us the grace we need to daily put these things into practice. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. And as we close our service today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what the Lord is speaking to you now. And I'm going to open these altars for you and I want you, if you feel so inclined to come and spend some time in prayer, if you want to be prayed for, we want to pray with you. But I want you just in this moment to quiet yourself for just a few minutes. Try not to be distracted by the things that are going on around you. Close your eyes, just shut yourself in. Especially to those today that are in the midst of difficulty. You're in a difficult season of life. Can I tell you, I know what difficult seasons feel like. I don't know what your season feels like, but we have a high priest who understands all of our weaknesses who was tempted in every way just like us, who suffered far more than any of us have. And he's here today. He's here today to give us the grace and the strength we need to overcome every obstacle, to persevere in this race 
that we're running. To give us the peace that passes all understanding in the middle of our crisis. But see, He can't give you the peace of God today if you don't have peace with God today. If you're not living in right relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, you've never put your faith in Him, or maybe you've put your faith in Him and you turned your back on Him, and you're away from Him. Today you need to make peace with God through Jesus Christ by confessing your sin, by believing in Christ's death on the cross for you, and by confessing to make Him Lord of your life and surrender yourself to Him. The Bible says when we do that, we have peace with God. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit then can bring the peace of God into our lives. But if you're here today and you would say, I don't have peace with God, and I need to make things right with Him today, would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Help me to make peace with God. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm going to assume the rest of us are walking in relationship with God. I'm not going to assume we're walking perfectly. I know that all of us are weak in areas and we struggle from day to day. Sometimes we're faithful and sometimes we're not, but God's always faithful to us. But here's what I want to ask. If you're in this moment and you say, Pastor, I need the peace of God. I'm in the midst of a hard time in life and whether you've relegated prayer to a back shelf Maybe you need to revive that asking and seeking and knocking, or maybe there's some areas that you need to throw off in obedience to the Holy Spirit, but you say, you know what? I just need the peace of God. I need to know God is with me. Would you pray and ask God to fill me with peace today? Would you slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm in the midst of hardship, and I need his peace. Anyone else? And one last thing as we, before I pray for you. If you're here and you would say, you know what? It's time for me to get prayer off the shelf. I mean, I'm not saying you don't pray at all, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're saying, you know what? It's time for me to be a house of prayer again. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and there says there's some things you need to throw off. There's some sin that so easily entangles you and it's time to get rid of that stuff. Or it's time to start strengthening yourself in the Lord and releasing the kingdom. If any of those things have spoken to you today, would you slip up your hand and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? And so Father, for those in this room today, God, that said they need to make peace with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help them in this moment as they resurrender themselves to you, as they commit themselves fully to you, to walk in your ways and to honor you with their lives. God, they've admitted today that they've been unfaithful to you, but God, they receive your faithfulness now. Father, for those that need your peace, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill hearts right now with peace? You are the spirit of peace. And we ask you now to calm, calm our fears, our anxieties, our questions, our doubts you would put such a, a calm in the midst of our spirit right now so that when we go back into our, our lives and back into the midst of this trial, this, this hardship, this difficulty, God, that we're not led by our emotion, that we don't make decisions rashly based on, on fear or threat, God, that we're able to make decisions based on truth. Help us, I pray.
Holy Spirit, again, I thank you for shining a light on these neglected areas of our lives. And help us, help us to continue to ask and continue to seek and continue to knock. Help us to throw off the things that are hindering us. Help us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and begin to release the kingdom of God to others. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Apologize for keeping you a little late today. I mean, I've been gone four weeks, so I just needed to go a little extra. I do want to take time and tell you the altars are open, and if you want prayer, uh, we would love to take a moment to pray with you. If you don't need to, to, to rush away and you want someone to pray with you, we want to always make that available to you. But if you do need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some more time in prayer before they go. And again, fathers, please make sure you stop by the table and uh, take one of the gifts that we have for you. God bless you as you go. Have a happy Father's Day.